Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. We're approaching the Yontif of Lagba Omer this Sunday. I'd like to share with you a couple of ideas what exactly it is we're celebrating, what took place historically, and what can we learn to apply and make practical in our own lives. I want to start with a story going back many years ago when I was in Eretz Yisrael, and we'll end with Eretz Yisrael as well. I was 18, 19 years old at the time in the base Medish in Chafetz Chaim in Sanhedrin Marchevet and I had a seat towards the very back large windows in the back of the base Medish beautiful view of uh, hills of Yerushalayim so I was during afternoon Seder and I was facing away from the window and my chavrusa was obviously facing me so as we're in the middle of a tosfos, I see this strange look that comes across his face as if he's in shock or terror like Avram what's the matter he's speechless what's going on and I see in his glasses this reflection of what looks to be a fire so I turn around, and, and mind you, we're like 20, 30 feet above ground, and I see out of the huge window behind me this raging fire. And I was very scared. So a few of us run downstairs to see what's happening, and we realize, oh, it's the kids of Sanhedrin Marchevet coming together, just a nice, wholesome way of having fun, lighting big mounds of dirt and then wood on fire. So that was my first exposure to Lag Omer and Eretz Yisrael. What exactly happened in Lag Omer, and what are we celebrating? The Machaber in Orachayim Tavtzadi Gimel, he tells us that we have the custom not to get married during Svira, leading up to Lag Omer, and also Noagim Shalol Yistaper at Lag Omer. We don't shave or take haircuts until Lag Omer. However, Lag Omer is a whole different story because it's said we have a tradition, Sha'oz Pascu Milomos, because on the 33rd day of the Omer, that's when the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva stopped dying. And we know we'll see the Gemara together, the Gemara Nivamos and Dafsamach Beis. <laughs> that thousands and thousands of Rabbi Akiva's Talmidim were dying during the period from Pesach until Shavuos. Lag Omer, they stopped. And that's why we have a Simcha. That's why we have a holiday of Lag Omer because they stopped dying. And the Ramah adds in, Mar Bimbo Simcha, we don't say Tachnun, so it's a festive day. Pri Chodosh, one of the, uh, the well-known Mepharshim in the back of the Shulchan Aruch has a very fundamental question on the Mechaber. Says the Prichadosh, What exactly are we celebrating? If we're happy because they stopped dying, Mabakach, 
Why is that a source of celebration? Do you know why they stopped dying? Because they were all dead. Let's party. The Kula Mesu. So Mativish Shal Simchazu therefore asked the Prichadash, what exactly is going on with this celebration? We're happy they stopped dying because now they're all dead. Very funny thing. So answers the Prichadash. He says, Ve'efsher perhaps, Shal Simcha he al osam talmidim shehosef acher kach Rabbi Akiva. Perhaps the main joy of Lagba Omer is the five new Talmidim that Rebbe Akiva acquired who didn't die like the other ones did. Perhaps that's the Simcha of Lagba Omer, that Rebbe Akiva was able to acquire five new Talmidim. I think in order to understand the Prichadosh, to appreciate his answer, it'd be Kedai to go through a little bit of a story of Rebbe Akiva's life. We've heard many of these sources before. I made a sheet here with 13, 12 different sources from different Gemaras and Chazal. And I want to put the pieces together to get a, a better understanding of who he was, what his challenges were. And uh, based on this, hopefully have a deeper appreciation of the Prichadosh say. We all know this story, which is found in the Tanah Debele Yohu. This is a Midrashic source that shares with us the teachings of Eliyahu Novi. <coughs> and uh, the Tanah of Eliyahu says, What was the beginning of Rabbi Akiva? How did he start off? You know, Lahabdil, they speak about great basketball players when they were growing up and playing even in junior high and high school. So Lahabdil, what was the beginning of Rabbi Akiva? So they said that when he was Ben Arboim Shana, when he was 40 years old, it was after a big storm, and he's walking past a rock, and he sees there's water dripping onto the rock. And the strange thing was that within the rock there was a hole, and the hole seemed to be formed from the water. So he was thinking, how in the world is that possible? How do you have water that's so soft? How does that have the power to penetrate and make a hole in something that's rock solid? The answer is pretty simple. It's through consistency. Every drop of water does come out nothing. It's microscopic. But drop after drop, day after day, eventually it chips away, eventually it makes erosion, it has an impact on the rock. So most people would have said, oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty neat and they would have walked on. Rabbi Akiva, though, was a very thoughtful person, and he thought about himself. He said, if water that's so soft could penetrate a rock, then I bet Torah, which is kosher kabarzel, it's, it's, it's as strong and powerful as iron, I'm sure that could penetrate my heart and my mind. After having that realization, says the Tanah Debele Yahu, Miyad Chazer Lil Motorah. Immediately, he went back to learning Torah. Interesting phrase. To say that he went back to learning seems to imply that he did have some background 
He wasn't coming from no Torah knowledge whatsoever. So if he was learning before, why did he stop learning? Miyad Chazer Lil Torah, after having this experience and this realization, then he decided to go back and learn Torah. We have to address, why did he stop learning in the first place? Why did he go decades of his life without a safer in his hand? Concludes the Tanah of Eliyahu, Halachu Bano, he took himself and his son, and they went, Eitzel Malamde Tinokos. They went to Rabbi Yachnes, who teaches first grade. He sat down together with his son, Amar Lo, Rebbe Lamdeini Torah. He said, Rebbe, please teach me Torah. They started from the basics, they went through olive base together, and through years and years of diligence, he worked his way up. That was the beginning of Rebbe Akiva. The Gemara Ksubis speaks about Rebbe Akiva, that before he started to learn, he wasn't just hanging out doing nothing. He was an accomplished businessman. The Gemara tells us that he was one of the, the managing roim, shepherds of Kalba Savua. Kalba Savua was a very wealthy and influential man at the time. And Chazise Barte, one day the daughter of Kalba Savua saw Rabbi Akiva, Dahavet Saniya Omali, and she realized that he had something special. He was modest, he was refined. And she said to him, I see something beautiful within you, and I think we should get married on the condition that you devote your life to learning. Rabbi Kiva agreed. The Gemara tells us that he went and he learned for 12 years. And eventually 12 years turned into 24 years. He comes back 24 years later after immersing himself in Talmud Torah. And now he has 24,000 disciples who are following him. He's about to be reunited with his wife he hasn't seen in 24 years. And she comes before him and she falls on the ground overjoyed to see him. And then many of his Helpers come along and they don't know who this lady is. They start pushing her away. And Rabbi Kiva says the famous words, Shavkua, leave her alone. Shali v'shalachem shalahu. Because everything that I've gained, everything that you, my disciples, have gained from me, shalah. She gets the schus of that. So we see that Rabbi Akiva was, was an insightful person able to pick up on things that most of us would kind of skip over and apply it to himself to grow and to change. We also see that he was a refined person and he was given this ability, supported by his wife, to go and learn Baha's mother for 24 years, clearly with Hatzlacha, to come back with 24,000 Talmidim. The Gemara Vamos we're learning this year, we also get a glimpse into his personality. There was a major discussion a big machlokus amongst the Tanayim. And the Gemara tells us that Pogabob Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Yonasan, encountered Rabbi Akiva, and he was on the other side of the different opinion. Akshilei, and he started asking Rabbi Akiva questions on the subject. But Rabbi Akiva was able to stand his ground. And he answered every issue that was raised by Rabbi Yonasan. Amr Lo, he said to Rabbi Akiva, 
Atahu Akiva, you're the Akiva, Shishimcha Holech Misofa Olam Vad Sofo, whose name is throughout the world. You have this amazing reputation. It starts off 40 years old, not knowing pretty much anything. And now you have your reputation that everyone knows who you are, Rebbe Akiva. Asherecha, listen to this put down. Asherecha shezechisa l'shem. You're so fortunate that you were able to have this wonderful reputation. V'adayin lo hegata l'roe bakar. But you haven't even reached the level of a roe bakar, of those who watch the cattle. A subtle put down. Now most normal human beings would respond... Oh yeah? Well, you're no better, and you're wrong, and I slugged you up. Somebody cuts you off on the highway. You have some choice words to share with them usually. What was the response of Rabbi Akiva? Amala Rabbi Akiva, he said in a joking way, You're saying I haven't made it to the level of someone who watches cattle? I'm not even there either. I can't even be a rowetzon. I can't watch sheep. That was the humility of Rabbi Akiva. Now what was it? If we had this diuk beforehand from the Tanah of Yohu, that miyad chazer lilmo Torah, after seeing the water and the rock, he went back to learning. Why did he stop learning in the first place? There's an amazing Gemara in Pesachim that shares with us a couple lines that he, Rabbi Akiva, shared with his Talmidim. <clears throat> He says, Kishayisi Amaritz, when I was in Amaritz, Amarti, I said to myself, Miyitain li Talmud Chacham, if only somebody would give to me a Talmud Chacham, Van Shechenu Kechamor, and then I would bite him like a donkey. So the obvious question is, Rebbe, why the analogy of a donkey? Usually you would say, I would bite him like a dog. That's a valid question. Said Rabbi Akiva, it's very simple. When dogs bite, they don't break bones. When donkeys bite, they do. Rabbi was sharing with his Talmidim. When I was a young man, when I was an Amaritz, I had this overwhelming resentment towards Talmidim Chachamim. I wanted to bite them like a donkey. So Tosus is bothered by the obvious question, how could Rebbe Akiva, of all people, how could he say this? The Gemara and Ksubis that we saw said the thing that, that, that the daughter of Kalba Savua, that she realized that he was Tzaniya, he was refined, he was dignified, we know that he was humble. Where did this come from? Says Tosus an amazing thing. It wasn't out of pure hatred. He didn't have sinas chinam chas v'shalom. He had these feelings of resentment towards Talmud Chachamim. Mishum Because he got the sense that those people who were immersed in learning, there was some level of gaiva. There was some level of arrogance that they held themselves to a higher place than the Amay Aretz. And that really made him upset. So it wasn't coming from Sinas Chinam, but it was almost a sense of injustice. Likely that's what made him stop learning. If he had these feelings, he had a bad experience growing up. He didn't have a good relationship with authority. 
He didn't do well in yeshiva. And therefore, he had negative feelings towards his rebbeim. That's a hard childhood. But he was able to get over it. And he was able to become Rebbe Akiva. On a personal level, the Gemara in Moed Katan tells us that once he did get married, he had two sons who he cherished and he taught them Torah. Like we saw earlier, he brought them with him as he was learning and growing. And the Gemara Mod Katan tells us that both of his sons passed away. Dealing with that tragedy on a personal loss and also dealing with the national tragedy. Rabbi Kiva lived in the times of the Bar Kokhba revolt. This was about 132-133 and uh, there was this city Beitar which was a stronghold of the Jewish people. After the Churban Bayesheni, this was really the, the, last, the last semblance of Yadus that we had in Eretz Yisrael. And it was a time of hope that although we were subjugated to the Roman Empire, we were hoping that maybe through galvanizing people and creating our own internal army, we could fight off the Romans and perhaps even regain Yerushalayim. The leader of this revolt was a man who was called Bar Kochva. And the Rambam tells us that Rebbe Akiva was convinced that Bar Kochva was the Mashiach. He thought that he had all the criteria to be Mashiach. He, together with many other Gedolim, were hopeful that the Zman Geula was mamish around the corner. Until Tisha B'Av, around the year 138, where Betar was destroyed and hundreds of thousands of Jews were brutally slaughtered. At that point, writes the Rambam, Rabbi Akiva realized that Bar Kochva was not the Mashiach as he died in war. But the dismay, the rejection, the disappointment of the Jewish world at that time was overwhelming. We've spoken before about Shabtai Tzvi in the, in the 1600s. How there were so many people hopeful that he really was the Mashiach. And when it turned out that the whole thing was a farce, you had hundreds of thousands of Jews mamish going off the derech because all their hopes were shattered. Rabbi Kiva was able to pick himself up from personal tragedy, losing both of his sons. And he was able to pick himself up from a national tragedy, knowing full well that the Jewish destiny now was very different than he had in mind. Mashiach was not around the corner. What level did he raise himself to in Torah? The Gemara Menachos tells us the story that when Moshe Rabbeinu was on Harsinai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed Moshe a vision of one of the future teachers of Torah. And Moshe Rabbeinu was so impressed by the lumdis and the depth and the bekiyas of this one teacher, Cholish Moshe felt almost insufficient. And he said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, why are you giving the Torah through me? You should give the Torah through this person. Who is he? And the Kaddish Baruch Hu told Moshe through Nevoah, that's Rebbe Akiva. <laughs> Why not give the Torah through him? And the Kaddish Baruch Hu says, that's not for you to know. I have my cheshbonos. But that was the godless that Rebbe Akiva attained. The Gemara in Chagiga tells us that there were four people that entered into the Pardes. Very deep, 
Kabbalistic ideas, a very dangerous place to go. Out of these four people, only Rabbi Akiva had the power, had the, 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 the foundation to come out b'shalom. So he was a master of nigla and he was a master of nister. He had kola tarakula. And then we get back to the Gemarni of Amos. He was in the, really the pinnacle of his career, so to speak. After decades of learning Bahasmada and having yeshiva of 24,000 disciples, that was the Makom Torah in the world. Within a period of a little bit more than a month, the whole yeshiva was devastated. Can you imagine what that was like for Rabbi Akiva? Going through all of his personal tragedy, going through national disappointment, working his way up after years of having a senator's Talmud Chachamim based on his childhood, and now finally developing a yeshiva and creating Marbit Torah, people who were the transition, the transmitters of Torah Shabal Peh. This is before we had things written down. And within the time of a month, your whole yeshiva is devastated. He didn't view them as, as Talmidim. He viewed them as his children. He lost two of his own children, and now he lost 24,000 of his own children. The Gemara says, very harsh way of describing it, at that point, the world was destroyed. That's not an exaggeration. The world we know is only sustained through Torah. And when you have the Makom Torah in the world, no longer here, the world is now at risk of being destroyed. You think about it, chas v'shalom. We hear what's going on with North Korea. You could imagine worst case scenario. We didn't realize how far along they were with their nuclear program. And it turns out, chas v'shalom, lo aleinu, they end up launching rockets, nuclear rockets into America. And Khalila v'chas, Lakewood is destroyed. Or Khalila, Iran does something, and Yerushalayim and B'nai Brak are no longer there. Where would we go from there? It, it seems like the end of Judaism. How do you continue to function with thousands and thousands of Lom Dei Torah who are holding up the world no longer living? How do you go on? V'ha'olam shomeim, says the Gemara. Ad sheba Rabbi Akiva, Eitzel Rabbi Seinu Shebeterom, until Rabbi Akiva came to our rabbis in the south, and he taught them, who were they? Five new Talmidim, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Shibin Bar Yochai, Rabbi Lazar Ben Shemua. These are names we see throughout the Mishnah over and over again. Vahem, heim, hemidu Torah oso shah. And it was through those five new Talmidim, they were able to keep the world functioning. They were able to, to keep alive Torah Shabal Pet. Haim, haim, hemidu Torah. They kept Torah alive. If I was Rabbi Akiva, after going through all of my personal struggles, after seeing what Klal Yisrael is as a nation, and after working my whole life to have a yeshiva that's now been destroyed before my eyes, 
I think the natural response of any normal human being, you go home, get a big tub of Haagen-Dazs ice cream, or the Chol of Yisrael equivalent, you eat that, you go under your covers, and you say, Kodesh Baruch I'm done. I tried. You know I tried, but I'm done. Says the Prichadosh, what are we celebrating in Lag Baomer? It's not just the fact that the disciples stopped dying. It's the fact that Hosef Rabbi Akiva Acharkach, he was able to have five new Talmidim. He was able, with all of his challenges in life, to keep on pushing forward, to keep Torah alive. Lagba Omer, therefore, according to the Prichadosh, is really a celebration of the continuity of Torah. It's a celebration of the survival of Torah. The survival of Torah that we only find through Mesiris Nefesh. Nassim Tzvi Finkel, with the great yeshiva of the mere yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, towards the end of his life, we know that he suffered greatly from Parkinson's. He was at a gathering for Achnasa Sefer Torah that was given to the yeshiva, and on the, on the Torah cover, it quoted really his famous, his favorite posik from Tehillim, Mahafti Sorasecha, Kol Hayom Hisichosi. David Melech expresses mamish from the depths of his neshama, how much do I love your Torah? My entire day is occupied, I'm engaged in the Limon HaTorah. That's my whole chiyas, that's my whole life. So if Nassim Svi was going to speak, he got up at the podium, thousands of people in the crowd, and Lemaissa, anyone who's heard him speak before, I had the opportunity in Eretz Israel to hear him a couple of times, and that was many years before this, and it was very, very difficult to get even one word out. What he usually do is hold on to the shtender to kind of keep his body from moving around too much out of control, and he would you could tell, use every fiber of strength in his body to, to get out his message. He's standing there, and the crowd is waiting in silence. Lamaisa, he can't speak. So eventually, all he's able to do is he points at the Torah, he points at that Pasuk, Ma hafti sorasecha, kol hayom hisichasi. And he basically motions to the, the crowd, this is what life is all about. This is Klal Yisrael. Our survival is nothing, it's not about culture, it's not about shul activities, it's not about anything else we might discuss or be involved with, it's about the limud HaTorah that we have through Mesiris Nefesh. And the crowd, it was an amazing, amazing experience, burst out in song, singing, Ma Hafti Sorasecha. That's the survival of the Jewish people. I'll end with a story. Getting back to my experience in Eretz Yisrael. Because this is true on a national level. The idea of Torah being the source of chiyus for Klal Yisrael. But it's also true on a personal level. When you meet people and you see that mamish, there's a chiyus amesim. They're transformed through their Torah. It gives you a little bit of an insight into the power of Torah. It was a Friday morning. 
and uh, it happened to be a late Thursday night. So there are very few of us at the base medrash when morning seder started, eight or nine of us, and Rabbi Luban and Rabbi David Chait were there, and they gathered us together in a group, and they said, you know, we have a special opportunity. We don't have many guys here right now, but anyone who's here for morning seder, we want to take you to a nursing home to hear a shear from Rabbi Yehuda Cohen. At the time, I, I never heard of him before, but uh, he was one of the Gedolim in Eretz Yisrael. So I was excited to go, especially going through that whole inner turmoil that morning, do I get up for Shachris? It was so difficult. But Baruch Hashem, it paid off. So we traveled together about 15 minutes away to the nursing home, and we're sitting in the lobby waiting for Rabbi Huda Cohen to come out, and I'm assuming that uh, you know, a man will come out dignified with a long coat and hat, nice long beard, and stand with the shtender and deliver a shear. Now, we were told before it's going to be in Hebrew, but it's pretty simple Hebrew. Okay. So we're waiting, and then we see this person wheeling this really, really old man in a wheelchair. And at first I saw him, I didn't even think twice. And the guy wheels him right in front of us. And I see Rabbi Chait and Rabbi Luban, they both stand up. And I realized, this is Rabbi Huda Cohen. I'm telling you, if you would have seen him in that state, I wasn't even clear if he was alive. He was in the wheelchair, his eyes were closed, his head was like this, totally limp. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world is he going to give us a shear? So we're waiting there. There was silence for a few minutes. And he opens his eyes slowly. Very, very soft, telling us the Rambam, sharing a famous kasha on the Rambam. And I'm trying to listen very carefully. My Hebrew is not great, and he's speaking very, very softly. As minutes go by, though, He's mamish a transformed human being. From someone who was sitting limp in a wheelchair that you could barely tell he was alive, now you fast forward 10 minutes into this year and he's kamat jumping out of his chair and he's thinking, that's pshat in the ketzos! That's what the ketzos means in Hebrew. Zeh pshat! Zeh pshat! V'harambam moyushav heitiv! V'harambam I was blown away. That's the power of Torah. Torah keeps Klal Yisrael alive, but it also keeps every Yachid alive. What was it that Rabbi Akiva had? Was it his optimism? Was it his charisma? Was it his personality? The answer is none of that. It was his deep-rooted appreciation, like the Gemara and Bracho says, when he was teaching Torah, and he was well aware of the fact that it was B'Sakonos Nefashos, teaching Torah was outlawed by the Romans. And when he was asked the question, Rabbi, how can you risk lives of Jews by teaching Torah? And the famous answer was, risk lives? If we're not learning, we're a fish out of water. We're for sure dead. The only chance we have to learn and to live and to survive and continue as Klal Yisrael is through Limit HaTorah. So in this Lag Bomer, with Hashem, we'll have a nice time. You have a retreat to look forward to coming up. But to think about Ashreinu Matov Chalkeinu, to take three minutes of the Shemona Esra and say, thank you, Akadosh Baruch Hu, 
Some chalkeinu, that you've given us the opportunity to learn. You've given us a, a beautiful makam Torah with Rebbeim who care about us, who mamish view us like children, who want to impart their Torah and their Mesorah. Say, thank you, Kaddish Baruch Hu, for letting me have the chance to be one of the bearers of the torch to continue the survival of Klal Yisrael. Shkoyach.